Hi everyone, welcome to the FIS podcast in a series on wastewater monitoring and management, a project in cooperation with UN Habitat that has already brought us on a trip around the world with speakers from Ghana, Trinidad and Tobago, Uganda, Indonesia, Thailand, and all of these podcasts are available on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and also on the call-in app or websites that all of you that are listening live will be using right now to listen to today's podcast. And because of our journey continues, and, and we will um, uh, we will go to our, our next destination today, today, it will bring us to London, to the United Kingdom. And from there, we are joined today by Sam Drabble. Sam is the Head of Evaluation, mm-hmm. Research and Learning at Water and Sanitation for the Urban Poor. He has authored, co-authored or edited over 30 publications on diverse aspects of urban water and sanitation and health. Welcome, Sam. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Alexander, for having me on. Pleasure to be on the podcast. Great to have you here. Could you tell us a bit more about water and sanitation for the urban poor? What what kind of organization is it and what do you aim to achieve? Sure. So my organization, What's Up, was set up to address the help to address the specific challenge of inadequate water and sanitation in low income urban areas or what might be referred to as slum settings, um, often informal settlements. And that, of course, is a a huge challenge. So 20 percent of the global urban population resides in in such settlements, over 800 million people. And there are specific challenges around serving those areas. And and WhatsApp's entry point to do that is the mandated service authority. So the utilities, the local governments that have a responsibility to provide water and sanitation services citywide. So we aim to develop long term partnerships with those mandated authorities to support them in extending services. And and we also work at the at the regulatory level and at the policy level, working with regulators and ministries in our focus countries. And those focus countries are. Uh, poorer countries, I suppose. In, in which continents are we talking about? Yeah, so seven country programs. What's up has currently in in Africa and Asia. Um, so those those programs are, are Bangladesh, Madagascar, Kenya, uh, Zambia, Mozambique, Ghana, and Uganda. Okay, excellent. Some continents we've already visited in our tour around the world with the with the podcast. Uh, and uh, it's, it's good to see you're active there. And so right now you're working on a global report on sanitation and wastewater management in cities and human settlements. Is that report aimed to put issues like wastewater management and sanitation higher on the political map? Or is it more like a, a technical guidance for experts or does it have other aims? Yeah, so I should mention that my organization, WhatsApp, has a, a, a research function uh, and, and we're involved in research, which, of course, can be very powerful in influencing change, both in our focus countries and at the global level. And the report that you mentioned, we're uh, leading a consortium on that work for a report commissioned by UN Habitat, um, also with um, co-financing from the French Development Agency. And the aim really is both of those things. So it's to generate political momentum, you know, increase awareness at the political level of the urgency of action around wastewater management. But it's also recognising that there's a need for uh, technical guidance 
um, and guidance really looking across the different elements that are involved in effective sanitation and, and wastewater management, such as financing, regulation, etc. So, yeah, it's, it's both to raise awareness, but also to provide practical guidance. Now, why is it that this awareness raising, it's something that came up in the other podcast as well, that um, quite a few speakers said that there's not enough attention for wastewater. And what, what do you think causes it? Because wastewater management is important, I would say. Uh, well, how does it come that it's, it's, it seems to be a bit neglected into, into the political agenda and therefore in the financing it receives? So what do you think causes that? And, and uh, knowing that this is the case, because I hear it everywhere, what can we do to, to put it higher on the map and make sure that there are funds and knowledge and, 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 and uh, available and that enough priority is given? Yes, yeah, so that, that's a great question, and and there are many elements to that. I think you know, first thing that I would say is that sanitation overall is is often neglected or does not receive the level of attention that it should do. You know, the the statistics on sanitation globally really are extraordinary. That over two billion people still lack access to uh, a decent toilet, and globally we have not made the same progress in sanitation. Um, as we have on water, it's positive that we're making progress on water, but we're not seeing the same shift in in sanitation. So it's a, it's a general point. I think there's some there's emerging consensus that uh, sanitation requires. If we're looking at the city level, say, citywide inclusive sanitation requires both um, sewered and and non-sewered approaches, and wastewater management clearly is one part of that. In terms of why wastewater specifically. Um, doesn't receive the attention that it that it needs to. Again, many elements to that. I think um, in in the in develop in the developed contexts, uh, wastewater is you know, about a largely invisible um, process. <laughs> wastewater management, um, you know, the the flush and forget concept that that, that we have in in Western countries. But um, I think it's important to underline in in developing contexts um actually it's it's far from invisible so if you have, if you visit for example a, a, a slum context you know you may see um open sewers open drains and and all of the the impacts that that follow from that um so it's a huge issue in in developing contexts and it's you know it requires significant financing um which is an issue because it clearly because it's um it, it, it's a huge demand on um, on countries that that may lack currently the, the the tax base or the revenue base for that type of large scale capital investment, and and that can lead to a certain level of stasis. Um, and and it's also a complex issue because there are many actors involved, including on the the regulatory side, um, which again can make it difficult to to generate momentum. So yeah, of course it's a it's a complex issue. Is it? Could you say, from? Uh, I mean, of course, let's say on the on the on the moral dimension, it's 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 it, it's clear that we need good good wastewater management. But if you if you would look at it purely from a, a financial perspective, could you say it's a good return on investment? Because it, it for me, uh, it it kind of doesn't make sense that you first throw waste into water and then a little bit further downstream, you have to use that water either for agriculture or even for drinking water 
and they have to take that waste out again, which seems from purely a financial perspective, a very inefficient way of, of organizing things. Is there, have, have studies been done on, on how, um, how lucrative uh, it is to, to invest in, in, in proper sanitation and, and wastewater management? Yeah, so um, studies have been done certainly on the the benefits, the wide ranging benefits of investment in in sanitation. So, I mean, as a um, a statistic that is commonly commonly used is for every dollar spent on sanitation, a society can expect you know a return of five dollars on that investment for for all of the the health and, and and the economic benefits that 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 brings. In terms of wastewater, I think an interesting shift. Currently, there is a, a change in discourse from from viewing wastewater as a as a waste stream to to viewing it as a as a resource. So we we know there are there are ways in which wastewater can can be used as a um, if it's treated effectively, um, it, it can then lead to tangible resources like fertilizers, um, energy recovery. So municipal wastewater can be converted to to biogas, for example. And, and reclaimed wastewater, so using treated wastewater uh, as non-potable or, or potable water. In fact, there are some countries like Israel, I think 25% of, of their water is, is reclaimed wastewater. Um, Singapore, 40%. So there are examples of countries that are reclaiming wastewater in that way. Um, I think that there's more to be done in in that area, and and you know it's it's not a, a a silver bullet, so to speak, in terms of the issue overall. But yeah, there is a paradigm shift that we're seeing in terms of viewing wastewater increasingly as a resource, not just a waste stream. Yeah, it's interesting here in Ottawa when I make my morning walk here, and we have we have snow here. It's 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 cold, but when I walk on the streets and I see these uh, these metal what do you say those lids on on the on the on the sewer system uh those are the first one that are snow free which is a clear indication that there's energy in in wastewater it's it's warmer there so i thought that was an interesting reminder i took a picture of it and i posted somewhere um but clearly there's of course a lot that you can you can gain from it and you can probably also gain in uh getting a more healthy population which will ultimately produce more and and and, and be active i mean uh, again I'm, I'm i'm easily stepping over the health and the moral issues but i'm trying to see it purely from from a financial investment so you 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 would expect then that there would be more development organizations and 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 international financial institutions etc that that might be willing to invest more in it if it so clearly has um is is, is a good return on investment yeah i so it is unquestionably but um it's a high level of investment and you know, so we need there need to be realistic yeah. parameters around um how large-scale wastewater treatment infrastructure, for example, is is going to be financed. Um, you know, it's, it's always worth bearing in mind, given that the the, the core of this challenge is is in um, developing contexts where where wastewater management is far below where where it needs to be. When you look at Western Europe or the US, you know, large-scale uh, investments have have been publicly funded. Uh, essentially, 
um, and uh, and and that that mech, that that route is may not be currently available in in developing contexts. So, uh, but but there are financing mechanisms that that can be deployed, and and we of course explore those in the report, like concessional and um, commercial loans, um, concessional loans from IFIs, as you mentioned. I think will continue to be a, a key, you know, a key mechanism to to unlock at least initial action around improved wastewater treatment. And then when we move on to operations and maintenance, I think the, the picture is a little clearer because those can be financed to an extent from, from user tariffs and from, from national transfers. But yeah, the, uh, I guess what I, what I would like to underline is, um, yes, it's a return on investment, but it's a, it's a large investment and, and, and we need to be, you know, take a broad view of, of where that initial investment is going to come from. Yeah, plus that the return of the investment doesn't really return to the ones that did make the investment, unless it is the national government. Or that's that's also that make it more difficult for private investors, I guess. So you already on government. Uh, you need, uh, I suppose, for uh, uh, aiming for for um, uh, for the goals of 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 uh, of STD six, the targets of STD six. Um, in 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 reducing the amount of of untreated wastewater, uh, you need committed governments and 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 I suppose at all levels from from well internationally we have the SDGs but then on national level and then the municipal level as well um, is that uh, is that a challenge in these countries because you need so many actors that that work together I would think yeah. I yeah, it it is a challenge. I, I think you know a, a first step is is being clear on on what's required, um, and and we we try to set this out in the report. Actually, you know, a, a useful framework that's recently been developed around citywide inclusive sanitation, defining really the three core functions of citywide inclusive sanitation. So we've talked there around financing, um, but there are equally critical um, elements that need to be addressed. So, uh, and some of those do come, as you rightly mentioned, from the national level, from policy. So um, enshrining, as Kenya has done, for example, um, the, the human right to sanitation in the constitution, that has a number of positive knock-on effects uh, lower down. Fundamentally, there need to be clear responsibilities around urban sanitation, both wastewater management and and non-sewered. So it, it needs to be clear in terms on a legal basis and um, mandates need to be clear as to who should be providing the service at what point in the, the sanitation service chain. Uh, and those mandates need to be inclusive. They need to in include everyone in the city, including the residents of low income areas or in informal settlements. And then the other the other core function is accountability. So accountability is really critical in, in this discussion. So you can have mandated authorities responsible for uh, wastewater management and, and, and safe treatment, but how are those authorities to be held to account in a, you know, in a fair way, but a, a meaningful way? And, and that involves strong accountability mechanisms. And again, we reflect on that in the report, it needs to be clear who is responsible for regulating what, you said that there are multiple institutions involved, and that's that's absolutely right, both on the service provision side and on the regulation side. So we see a distinction between environmental regulation and economic regulation, uh, and also uh, public health aspects. 
So you often have multiple regulatory agencies with some role to play, and that there needs to be coordination there if the the service providers are, are, are to be held to account and you know, supported as well. Uh, it's not just about sanctions, but about incentives supported to um, to deliver their mandate. Yeah, uh, I've worked in national government for uh, for twenty five years, and I. I know from my experience working in, in, in Dutch government how difficult governance is. So in uh, in poorer countries, I can imagine that on the one hand, their challenge that the problems they have to deal with is bigger, but they also have you know a less well-organized governance system to deal with these challenges. And that's it's, it's, it's really, governance is complicated. And yeah, clearly it's good that you mention it as, as uh, uh, as, as a subject uh, to focus on. So uh, when we talk about these countries where you're active, uh, many of these see an enormous amount of uh, of urbanization. Uh, you're, you're active in Kenya. I recently saw a picture of Nairobi in the year 1900. It was like, hmm. there, was, there was, I don't know, just a handful of houses. There wasn't anything. And it's now a huge uh, metropolitan area, of course. Um, so you see this this rapid urbanization, especially in your active many African countries. Africa is uh, the the continent in the world where population growth is is uh, is faster and will continue longer than than anywhere else in the world. Um, so does that make cities a priority for you? And if so. When all these newcomers arrive in the city, many of them, I suppose, will arrive in 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 the slums area, often on 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 the edge of town, which is typically an area where you don't have uh, the uh, the good sanitation and wastewater treatment already. So how how do you deal with that? It seems to me that if you would put that into the ground or or put that infrastructure out there before the people arrive, it's cheaper than trying to install it once. There's a patchwork of 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 dwellings where people are living, and it gets more difficult to access it. So, how do you how do you work in these in these areas? And do you agree that that's a, a priority? Is that where you mainly? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I, urbanization is yeah, it's one of the preeminent global trends. It's one of the the trends of our time, uh, and it, you know we, we'll continue to see. Um, rapid rural to urban migration, and that's not to understate the level of need in in rural contexts at all. But the the level of need in in urban contexts is is growing, um, and you know the mandated authorities I mentioned. Um, you know, there's there's a there's an obvious risk of, of of there being overwhelmed and unable to to keep pace um, with the the scale of change. So, in in terms of how to address that. Again, I don't want to give a simplistic answer at all because there are there are many elements of that. The, the starting point, as I mentioned, is acceptance of responsibility um, to to serve those areas, to provide basic services to those areas. Um, incentives for authorities to do that, which can can follow from the regulatory perspective. But planning, as you mentioned, is is really a, a core challenge. Um, and there you can get into more complex technical discussions, but that there are ways to um, to tailor an approach to expanding um, informal settlements and more f- flexible infrastructure that provides the the space for adaptation 
for um, for the the service providers to maintain some some flexibility around um, the, the the services that they're providing. Um, there are particular types of infrastructure that are more suitable for for this type of settlement. So, just one example that comes to mind because you mentioned Nairobi is uh, simplified sewers. So. Um, Actually, we recently, um, WhatsApp recently produced a publication on this, and it's also referenced in the the UN Habitat report. But um, simplified sewers are a, quite a useful context-specific approach to extending services in informal settlements. So, if you take Mukuru, for example, which is a a large um, informal settlement in in Nairobi that has trunk sewers running through it, as the settlement happened to evolve. You know, with that infrastructure there um, and simplified sewers are a low cost way to connect uh, how, low income households in, in, in that slum settlement to yeah. that trunk sewer infrastructure. So there needs to be flexibility. There needs to be context specific solutions, um, but also an understanding that always a, a range of services are required. So when you're looking at extending sanitation to um, unplanned informal settlements, you're um, certainly in WhatsApp's, WhatsApp's experience, you're going to need a menu of services to deliver that. It's not just going yeah. to be simplified sewers, say. Uh, it's not just going to be container-based sanitation, which is another, I think, great option in many contexts, uh, an, an option that is you know, tailored to the specific challenges of serving informal settlements because it avoids the large, you know, the, the requirement for for upfront large infrastructure investment, at least at the containment level. So yeah, there, there is there are options out there, um, yeah. but those need to be brought together through a, a, a citywide inclusive planning process that that yeah. recognises the need to be looking ahead and and to be getting ahead of the curve, as you say. But that's yeah, that's really challenging. Yeah, I would think while you're describing this uh, with uh, a focus on sanitation, which obviously important. I mean, everybody in the world should have the right to, you know, have access to to decent uh, sanitation. Um, it's it's one of uh, one of the the sustainable uh, development uh, goals. Uh, the one on water specifically uh, speaks about sanitation, but it also. Uh, speaks about the target to to half the proportion of untreated wastewater that we just discharge in our in our lakes and rivers. And if you if you go for a solution, um, I think you used the word simplified um, uh, sewers. I can imagine that helps to quickly give a lot of people access to sanitation. But isn't that at odds with the uh, with the other target of of treating more waste and or or that is that part of this simplified solution is there also a wastewater treatment element in there yeah so no i wouldn't say it's it's at odds it's uh it's a response to you know the first the first step in that process so connecting um the the low-income households in these densely populated settlements to the main sewer network but then you're quite right to emphasize the wastewater treatment component then so that that waste needs to be transported um through the network and and ultimately treated you know in in accordance with with standards um so it, it's all connected i think the options like simplified sewers they you know they respond to the 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 earlier stages in the sanitation chain 
then there needs to be equal attention to, yeah. to treatment and, and the back end of the chain. Yeah, yeah. Because we, 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 we agreed for, uh, I, I mentioned that earlier in, um, in, in the earlier podcast, seven years ago in, 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 in late 2015, we had this, this wave of international conferences all over the world, uh, a brief celebration of multilateralism. We had the, the Paris Agreement and, and we, had, we had a number of other ones, including that we agreed in, in New York on, uh, on the Sustainable Development Goals and agenda for everything that needs to be done by 2030 in the world. And it's, it's, I, I still, I think it's, it's a, it's a brilliant, uh, document and brilliant aim to work on it. So, and that says, uh, one of the, the many targets in there is of the proportion of untreated wastewater, um, that is discharged in our, in our, in our waters. Um, and that should be by 2030. So we're midway, uh, after about seven years now. Um, so to prove in 2030 that we actually got there, or at least try to get there and at, at least have, have, you know, progress, um, we need to write data in countries. You, you need national data. You need local data. You need to collect them likely from all kinds of different bodies like utilities, municipalities, etc. Do we have enough data to, to measure this progress? Do, do we actually have the data how the situation was in 2015 if we want to prove by 2030 that the situation has been improved? Uh, no, so it's, it's uh, yeah, the right point to raise because there's a, there's a huge data gap um, in in terms of wastewater management, so I think the the, the response rates um, from from countries is around fifty uh, percent uh, generally, um, and and there are issues with uh, the quality of the data that the countries do submit around wastewater management, and indeed that is that was a core part really of the rationale for for this report that that UN Habitat commissioned, as recognizing that the, there is this data gap. Um, and, and what we've we've aimed to do, I mean, it, it's one contribution to a wider challenge, but um, to look across a, a subset of cities globally and, and actually engage directly with the um, the service providers responsible for, for wastewater management um, to get data directly from them on treatment technologies that they are deploying, um, the, the levels of treatment, etc. So um, I think UN Habitat certainly recognised that that gap and, and and this report is um a, a, a strong contribution of this report will be to to take that subset of cities and and see what the situation is um it, but still there are challenges around that so you, know, you have to be careful in the conclusions that you can draw from from a small subset of cities but i think it will give us a, a very useful um overview of, of some trends around around wastewater management but yeah the data is a huge issue and it's also as you say it, an issue at the level of the the institution. So a, a, a key question is um, you know, how how can we globally how can we support ensure that mandated authorities have strong data management systems? And um, we we give an example of of work that's taking place in Nakuru in in Kenya, um, was where the um, Nawasco the um, the utility have have trialled um, a, a CY citywide inclusive sanitation. Um, services and uh, and planning tool 
which which should help them to to better project um, the impact of their investments in sanitation, and you know provide a, a consolidated database to inform sanitation investment planning. So that really is a key a key starting point again, a foundation that needs to be addressed because for for service providers to deliver sanitation citywide, they've got to have an understanding. They've got to have the data to support them. Um, they've got to have an understanding of, of current, current levels of coverage, uh, an understanding of um, what the, the impacts and the, the, relev- the, the relative benefits of different investments will be, including in terms of equity and, and the impacts on, on, on low-income households. And, and I would come back again to, to regulation as really being core to that. So where we're seeing improvements in data systems, the regulator not all countries have independent regulators, but um, in, in Eastern and Southern Africa, for example, and SOAS, the, the Eastern and Southern Africa Water and Sanitation Regulators Association, is doing fantastic work in um, providing a, a, a forum for those regulators. We're really seeing those regulators at the forefront of developing strong data management systems like WASREB, the regulator in Kenya, is doing, um, which can really then position service providers to 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 deliver against their mandate. Yeah. You see on all kinds of issues that are part of the of the SDGs and, and are basically part of, you know, creating a, a decent uh, a decent world to live in, that you see that uh, NGOs from all over the world unite to collect data to keep governments accountable. So it's uh, take for instance human rights you have organizations like like uh, Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International, etc., that have a global network of uh, volunteers that that collect information. They compare those notes, etc. You also see it on. I remember when I worked on landmine with the Worldwide Landmine Monitor Project. Um, is is that something that we might need on? Uh, or wastewater and sanitation as well. That I know there's a lot of NGOs. I see them when I'm at the World Water Week in, in, in Stockholm. It seems to be kind of COP where everybody comes together, but then on water. Um, is, is that something we, we might need here as well to actually to keep a bit pressure on the governments and to, to, to show uh, that they're not alone in providing data. Somebody looks over their shoulder and also to kind of help them out. Is it, does it exist or would it be useful to have an organization like that? Yeah, it's a really interesting point and it's, it's, um, it's certainly relevant to this discussion around accountability. Um, so accountability is not only or to, to, to optimize effectiveness, it should not be only top down needs to be bottom up as well and um you know citizens need to be empowered to to put pressure on on the institutions you know where, where those institutions are, are are not delivering um to that there needs to be that upwards pressure and i, and I think ngos absolutely have a a, a critical role to play at, at that level not only yeah. at that level but certainly in in community mobilization in in citizen empowerment in, in supporting that that type of grassroots pressure on um, on, on mandated authorities, and uh, and again, some of the regulators that um, we've worked with or that we're familiar with are, are are doing great work also in increasing that level of consumer awareness 
around um, you know their, 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 the rights that they should expect. Um, WSRC comes to mind, regulator in Palestine that is, has just launched a, a concerted campaign to raise awareness around sanitation services. So, yeah, I, I think that is a, an important aspect. And um, obviously data data management is, is one component within that. And yeah, NGOs have a role to play in, in facilitating that. But ultimately, national level institutions need to need to step up in the sense of data management. But, yeah, the support is required, I think. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. Yesterday when um, we had a... Um... Uh, a podcast uh, with about Southeast Asia with Hen- Hendra Gupta, who works for uh, for Borda and the Asian Institute of Technology, and we had Professor uh, Kutatep, um, also from the Asian Institute of Technology. They said that with these data, one of the problems is that they often do get the data, but then from two different instances, and they're completely incompatible, even though they are discrete. <laughs> The same information, so it must be uh, difficult. But another thing that yeah. you mentioned, and especially Andra Gupta's uh, working actively on that, is a decentralized approach to wastewater treatment. What are your ideas there? Should it be centralized or de- decentralized? I, I suppose it, it depends on where you're looking at, whether it's a rich city or whether you're talking about a different kind of country. But, but what are your ideas on, on centralized or decentralized? Yeah, so I, I wouldn't call myself an expert in terms of the technical approaches around centralised and decentralised. Fortunately, we have people on the report that are. Um, but yeah, but yeah I, I think, again, it's, it's not really a, a one-size-fits-all solution. Uh, I think generally um, decentralisation can be helpful in, in many aspects of, of sanitation uh, service provision. Uh, and, and I think wastewater treatment is is no different so in 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 principle i think decentralization can can be helpful and 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 is not not implemented to the level that that ideally it would be um but but again i I would emphasize the importance of context so it's it's not always going to be the the right approach but yeah arguably underutilized yeah what would you say suppose um Let's say uh, Antonio Gutierrez uh, would contact you and say, hi, here's the, the Secretary General of the UN. I hear that you're working on this. Can you give me um, three or five key priorities that we should focus on, uh, both for, for wastewater and sanitation, to, to achieve the, the, the set targets? What, what, what would be your priorities? What would you, what would you mention? Okay, so yeah, there are many levels of it, and it depends to an extent how long we have. But I, I, I would approach that question. You know, I don't know if holistic is always the best word, but but I, I would approach it in a holistic way, looking across the different elements of this challenge. So to to solve wastewater management, say, uh, it's it's not going to be because of the, a particular technological solution. Okay, that technology is a huge part of it. You need to have the right treatment technologies, of course, and you need to have an understanding of the the best approach in a given context. But there are many first level issues that that need to be addressed before you get to that point. That includes, as I mentioned, clarity of responsibility, who should be providing the service, accountability, how are they going to be held accountable 
um, and supported in providing that service. Um, financing. So what are the financing streams that can support sustainable operations and maintenance? Um, what are the, the different um, loans and other financing streams that are available to support the, the, the capital investment that is required? Um, data management. So how can we support effective data management systems? So I think all of those, in a sense, are our first level, because if you don't have those in place, the, the, techn the technology is going to fail, which is what we've seen, because if, if, there's, if there's no one there responsible for, for, for maintaining a treatment plant and if the, the revenue streams are not in place to maintain it, of course, it's, it's going to malfunction. And we know that a huge number of wastewater treatment facilities um, Certainly, in developing contexts, you know that's that that's what has happened. And there are even maintenance challenges in in um, in Europe and, and the US and, and, and other more, more developed contexts. So, yeah, I, I think a, a roadmap of that type roadmap's the right word, but a clarity on on the different elements that are involved is is a, is a starting point. There needs to be honesty that all of those elements have to be addressed. Um, but then, of course, you do need to look at the um, the context specific um, technological solutions. Um, it's actually an exciting moment, I think, in terms of wastewater, because we're seeing, as I say, this shift towards um, viewing wastewater as a resource. And, and, and that certainly is part of the challenge that, that needs to be taken forward. We're seeing other potentially useful um, applications of wastewater, like wastewater-based epidemiology, the, the potential of, of wastewater to yield useful data and insights on, um, on, on incidents of um, disease in, in populations. Um, climate resilience is another you know, trend of, of this moment that, that needs to be um, reflected on and the right approaches implemented to support that in terms of wastewater management. So yeah, I, I've given a convoluted answers but but i think that in a sense is the point there needs to be honesty that those elements need to be addressed um and, and let's not make the error perhaps that's been made in the past um of focusing excessively on the technology when the supporting systems are not there yeah 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 that's typically a general lesson from let's anything in in uh the development questions uh, that we have for the poorer countries in the world that it's it's so complex you see it in the sdgs itself how they're all interrelated and actually water is kind of water in general is a very pivotal one if it's i think it's connected to each and every one of the other uh, 16 sdgs i would find it hard to find one that is not somehow connected uh, to uh, to water and yeah the the, the governance challenge that these countries face on water as well as also on on health and food and poverty reduction and, and dealing with uh, the impact of climate change etc is so huge and um and it's just because everything is interrelated so that is um yeah, basically you 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 summed up the, the challenge of development i've approached it from different ways in, in the days that I that I worked as a diplomat, and I, I recognize so much when we dive deeper into into wastewater and sanitation. Um, I'm uh, looking at uh, the app now. I see a lot of people listening, and you can ask questions. I'm also going to the live chat. I see people are uh, 
uh, Keting here, uh, Central and East African Progress, uh, NGOs should not be in charge of regulating anything. No, they are not. That's why we have uh, why we have governments. It's always good to have NGOs in check, I would say. And Marianne wrote, we thrive as a culture because of our sewer pipe system uh, invention. So now we have to fix what comes out of it. Why did we wait so long? The stuff that comes out of these pipes cannot be spilled back. Yes, it, it, it refers a little bit to where we spoke about it. I'm not sure whether Marianne wrote this before or after we touched upon it when we spoke about the slums. Uh, that's, it's good to put uh, sanitation in, but then we should also think about uh, the wastewater. If I see some people are asking questions, and now back to, uh, to where I see all the faces, I see people lining up. We'll take some speakers. Uh, Hussein, thank you for joining. Can you unmute yourself? Yeah, there you are. Hey, Alexander. Good morning. Hi. Thanks for joining. Hey, no problem. Thanks for the invite. Um, I did want to ask specifically, can you walk the crowd or the listeners through what NGOs are supposed to serve? And am I mistaken? They're sort of disconnected from like the local governments themselves because I am Kenyan. So I remember the UNHCR when I was back home. Uh, back when I lived there at my younger ages, and there was always this disconnect between the Kenyan government and what they had going on at the in the camps. I grew up in the Dadaab camps. Can you walk me through a little bit of how the finances of an NGO works and why an NGO and not an IOS, I mean an IS, OS, which works better in my understanding than an NGO, because there's not really a lot of regulation that the government of Kenya has on NGOs, it looked like especially coming from the UNHCR camps. Excellent. Uh, okay, so... no. Yeah, thank you, Hussein. So, um, look, first of all, I'm not, uh, I'm not an expert on um, humanitarian contexts and, and there, are, there are specific challenges there. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not the best person to, to, to walk you through the role of NGOs in that particular context. Um, I, I saw a comment from Alexander that Alexander read out there that NGOs shouldn't be in charge of anything, and yeah, so agree and absolutely agree with that. Um, and, and that's that's not, um, uh, yeah, that's that's not not being proposed in the context of um, of the report or or in the view of my organisation. What's up? So I think NGOs have a you know, first thing to say actually is that NGOs cover a broad range. I mean, I. I wouldn't know how to give a um, a, a straightforward or, or, or simplistic account of the role of NGOs because it, it varies. Um, in in the context of water and sanitation in in, in urban um, urban settings, yeah. NGOs can have a useful role to play, as I mentioned, at the community level, in um, in supporting communities, in engaging communities, um, increasing awareness of consumer rights helping to build that bottom-up accountability. And I think NGOs can also play a useful role in providing technical support, um, capacity development support to institutions, um, not ideally in the long term, but but in this interim transition period, given the, the scale of the challenge that institutions are dealing with. You know, I, me I mentioned in, in urban contexts, there's huge rule to urban migration. Um, we shouldn't underestimate the scale of the challenge in, in extending services citywide, say. 
um, and, and there needs to be recognition of that. Uh, and I think NGOs can play a role in, in, in supporting in, in that area, as, as well as in, um, in some cases, convening. So, you know, a, a, a huge challenge I've observed in some contexts is, um, you know, there can be uh, fractured responsibilities, fractured institutional mandates. And sometimes it is helpful to have um, a quasi external actor who can help to facilitate uh, those institutions to come together and, and, and help to unlock some of the, the barriers to change. So I think there's also potentially a, a facilitating role that, that NGOs can play. That's, yeah. uh, that's just my, you know, my, my initial response to that question. And to add, with, yeah, to yeah, add to ahead, Alexander. from uh, from from my own experience, uh, used to deal with uh, trans but transboundary water problems. So let's say a river that flows from one country over the border to another country, and the upstream country is kind of in charge of of what happens in the downstream country. They can build a dam and they can keep it, or they can open the dam, or they can do irrigation, or etc. So they they can. So you need uh, this diplomatic past, you need um, uh, a, a, a set of rules between countries, how you, how you deal with this. Um, some 50 years ago, there was already a uh, UN water treatment was, uh, treaty was, uh, was negotiated, um, which basically says how countries that share water, how they, how they should deal with each other, and if you have a conflict, how to etc., now, for like 25 years, the treaty never entered into force. It only enters into force if a certain number of countries um, have signed and ratified uh, this agreement. Um, people started to forget about it, more or less. And then there were international NGOs that united and worked on it and that were lobbying governments that they should ratify this uh, convention. And they were successful. It was purely because of the NGOs that this uh, treaty got enough ratifications and then entered into force. Right? That's, so NGOs are often seen as a local, on the local level, but here were NGOs at, 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 a, at a global level that managed to, uh, uh, to, to create change. And uh, I, I've found NGOs that I work with on different subjects were often uh, very well informed, very willing to uh, to work with government in uh, in in in, uh, in in promote the issues they're active on. Can I just add one one other point, yeah. Alexander? I know we might have questions to come on to, but I think it's a it's an important point also in the context of this challenge around the SDGs that um, you know what might be called peer to peer learning can be can be really powerful. So not just within countries, but but across countries across regions bringing institutions together who are often dealing with a common set of quite specific challenges. You know, again, I can speak to my context of water and sanitation in, um, in low-income urban areas. Those challenges can be quite specific and you know, the, the managing directors of utilities and the regulators um, dealing with, with those services, you know, they are dealing with often the same challenges. And to bring them together to see that examples where um, institutions have unlocked some of those common barriers that can be really inspiring it can catalyze change and I think that peer-to-peer -peer element that knowledge exchange is an important part of how how globally we're going to make more progress towards the the SDGs you need to lean on that almost benchmarking and also 
quasi competitive instinct that um, that we generally have um, to to unlock um, progress. And I think NGOs again, not only NGOs but international organisations, um, sometimes have have more uh, more of the bandwidth required to um, to to do that convening and bring institutions together to learn from each other. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear, hear. I very much agree. Um, uh, but the first thing I'm thinking of is, uh, is the World Water Week in, in Sweden, where both NGOs, as well as governments, as well as uh, technical specialists, as well as international organizations, all to come together for one week. Uh, the focus is, I think, stronger on, on, on the wash, the water and sanitation and hygiene aspects, a bit less wastewater or bigger waterworks. But those kind of events are extremely useful, just as I, I read some criticism on how many people are going to uh, we're going to COP27. And I agree on the criticism on, on those private jets flying in, but I, I don't agree on the fact that a lot of NGOs and, and, uh, and organizations that are active on climate change come together once a year to, um, to exchange notes. And, and I think we need... Uh, with a stronger focus on on wastewater, I think we would it would be useful to have something like that as well to bring all the specialists on wastewater treatment and and, and the monitoring and the data collection uh, on wastewater to bring them together and 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 have a more fruitful exchange. What are your ideas, Sam? Yeah, no, I agree absolutely, and I I think that's that's why case studies are are, are so important as well. Um, you know, it's 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 really important to to show what can be done. To uh, you know, we haven't talked a lot about the the impacts of wastewater management, which are which are vast in terms of health and um, environmental and, and socioeconomic impacts. And we we look at those in the report. But it's also really important um, in discourse at the global level to to focus on you know where there is tangible momentum because there is in many in many contexts we give examples in the report of cities that are proactively dealing with issues around wastewater management uh, I, I, and you know, I really think those case studies are key and yet forums where you can bring partners together so that they the, the decision makers who are you know always have many things that they need to be dealing with um, but to create a dedicated space for that exchange can be very powerful. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Um, shall we go to Amanda? Thank you very much, Hussein. Sure, all good stuff, all good stuff, guys. I, I just have to add one more thing here. I think there seems to be a misunderstanding about like the, what they um, serve in countries, not so like the third world countries, because I remember the, the NGOs do come with their own certain regulations where we were not allowed to plant like certain things because we had to get it specifically from them so they do we do run into these issues with a bunch of ngos where they come with their own laws that have nothing to do with the government itself and they have um they put these sort of regulations on the locals where they're not allowed to say what they want from their land how it should be run they come with i don't know you tell me the logistics of who funds them like what country is funding which NGO, because whenever they, they are funded, they come there with their own laws that have nothing to do with what the people of that specific land want. Yeah, well, I could tell you from a personal story, like my mom was not allowed to plant certain certain plants because they thought we should buy it specifically from them when we were down in the camps. And then there's this financial economic uh, 
mishap that goes through both the organization. Hey, you can't plant this because we want you to buy this specific plant from us because blah, blah, blah. So these type of things are issues that locals have with NGOs. And I prefer an IOs because at least then you're working with the local government and what they want. It's not, it doesn't seem like a symbiotic relationship between NGOs and certain governments. Okay, yeah, well, NGO is, of course, a very, very wide term. I mean, in the most extreme form, you could say that a terrorist organization is also a non-government organization. Uh, so there's, there's, there's a wide range uh, of different NGOs. I think what, what you're just describing sounds yeah. it's that I don't recognize, that you have to buy exactly the stuff that they are selling, which doesn't sound like mm-hmm. an NGO. But, yeah, uh, the UNHCR had, that, that was part. That was one of their programs. That was one of their laws where you had to buy crops from them specifically when we were down there. Yeah, that's and, that's, and then yeah. So these are some of the some of the illegalities that NGOs engage in all over the world. I'm specifically only talking about UNHCR or the UN, where where we dealt with them specifically. But I'm sure it happens all over the globe, even in India and Asia. And so yeah. who are these who are these billionaires or these governments funding these NGOs that that are quote unquote helping the locals while also telling them exactly how they want to help them. Yeah. Yeah, it's it uh, it sounds like you were unfortunate in in the NGOs that that you engaged with. NGOs I mean like governments, uh governments are extremely diverse. Uh, Iceland doesn't have the same government as let's say North Korea. Uh, and that's with NGOs, so you always have to be critical on with whom you are working, and it's it's uh, it's, it's a very wide uh, term. Thanks so much, Hussein. I, I want to move on to Amanda because I'm also looking at the clock, and they also have questions. Thanks so much for joining and, and your questions. Sure, thank you for the invite. Okay, bye. Hi, Amanda. I'll, if, let's see if Hussein is leaving, then only then I can allow you in um, there there we are there's Amanda hi Amanda hello Alexander Sam very interesting discussion again I appreciate it and I want to ask a slightly different question um, about the data so uh, I understand the need for financing and the need for for collecting data for doing design for the, if you're doing like a centralized treatment plant or something. Can you talk about a little bit more about what the data, what the data you want to have would be used for? Thank you. Yeah, of of course. So um, in terms of the data collection, um, so just, I mean, to briefly walk you through it. So we, uh, it was quite wide ranging. Um, so uh, two data collection templates, um, one that's focused primarily on more qualitative aspects around how wastewater and sanitation is managed in the cities that we um, uh, are engaging in in the study. So so that includes institutional responsibilities, you know, treatment standards and enforcements, um, emptying standards and enforcement, planning and investment, monitoring. Um, data management, financial management, so quite wide ranging, as I say. And, and then uh, uh, another aspect, important aspect, is more quantitative data around treatment systems. 
so the, the volume of um, wastewater and faecal sludge that is that is treated, the, um, the volume of treated effluent that is reused, um, the, the, the level of treatment that is provided. What we're working on now is synthesizing that data from, from across 15 cities that we are including in the study so that we can present graphically um, an, an overview of, as I say, the, the level of treatment, the type of treatment that we're seeing in this um, in this snapshot of, of cities at the, the global level. And then also importantly, we're, we're looking at that more thematic data around responsibilities. So at the global level, who generally is responsible for wastewater and sanitation management? You know, are those responsibilities integrated um, within uh, a utility or are they split, say, between a municipality and a utility, that, that type of question? Who is responsible for regulating and what tools are they using to regulate? Um, and, and from that, that gives us a, a solid foundation to provide some, some observations on how wastewater is managed currently at the global level and ultimately uh, recommendations um, in consultation with, um, with experts across our consortium. You know, the, the, the practical aim of this report is, is to provide some, some recommendations pitched at various levels targeted to, to the different actors involved around how to improve wastewater management. So I hope in the time we have that gives a, a decent summation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sam. I hope that Amanda's already back to the, to the group of listeners. I hope that answers your uh, your question, Amanda. And I see Sharon. Thank you very much for joining, Sharon. Um, good morning. And, <laughs> and happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Alex. And thank you um, for hosting this podcast. Um, Mr. Drabble, I have a short question because I know that that time is, is running out. I, I want to speak to the quality of life. Um, would you go in with your organization and uh, do an upgrade of these slum areas? Uh, uh, your your word, I hadn't heard upgrading of slums, but um, would you go in with these um, initiatives like container-based sanitation or say you're upgrading streets for transport or, um, you know, you're, you're doing these things to upgrade this area? How does the quality of life change uh, for this population? Yeah, I, I, thank I think you. That's, thank you, Sharon. So that's yeah, that's that's a great question. I mean, um, I, I should just just to clarify, it's not so my organisation WhatsApp is not doing those things per se. Um, you know, we're, okay. we're, we're there to we're, we're there to provide um, technical support. Uh, to to the mandated authorities who are who are doing that work. So, I, I gave the example of um, Makuru, um, a, a, a slum in Nairobi, which which is as you say being upgraded, um, you know, in an integrated way. Exactly the type of improvements that you mention around around transport, um, around water and sanitation, uh, and, and and wider improvements and. The, the impact uh, is difficult to summarize in in a very short time but it's of course it's 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 huge in in terms of quality of life in in many aspects because the the lack of access to basic services is 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 one of the the most detrimental um elements of of um living in a in a, in a low income slum context of of that type uh, and and in improving access to those services 
you know, has huge impacts in terms of health, in terms of um, the economy, in terms of school attendance, for example, if you can cut down on um, the yes. the level of disease that is, you know, disproportionately affects children. In terms of gender, gender is a, a critical component uh, in in this discussion because women and girls are disproportionately impacted by lack of access to, to water and sanitation. So those types of improvement also impact on um, gender equity within these communities, um, women's participation. So yeah, there are a wide range of impacts and, and there are a wide range of methodologies, but I think more needs to be done actually in some cases to quantify those impacts. Uh, a really useful methodology we're aware of is uh, SANQOL, which was developed by a researcher called Ian Ross at London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, which is sanitation quality of life impacts uh, and it's looking to um, actually assess in, in a qualitative way that uh, the, the wide-ranging benefits of sanitation interventions on quality of life on aspects like dignity, security, privacy, which again um, disproportionately um, affect uh, women and girls and some of the results that we've seen where that methodology has been applied uh, including in Maputo in a, a large-scale study and actually around container-based sanitation in Ghana have shown really significant impacts on quality of life. So where, where those metrics have been applied, I think the results are, are striking. Thank you so much. Um, I, I think we're a little clueless, or I'm speaking for myself, in the United States. So thank you for what you're doing, um, helping um, those in charge on the ground, um, and um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Sharon. Um, look at the clock. We we started an hour ago, and I always aim to to make this no longer than one hour. Um, I would like to uh, thank first of all Sam very much uh, for joining us uh, today. Um, Sam Drabble from uh, Water and Sanitation for Urban Poor in London. I would like to thank the those that ask questions, Hussein, Amanda, and Sharon. Thank you for being so. Active on board here. I would like to thank you and Habitat, who always helps out in uh, in these podcasts and is very supportive. Uh, and I'd like to thank you all listening for uh, for being here. If you're in America, I wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. And if you're around next week for part six in this series, which will ultimately be a series of seven podcasts, uh, next week on Wednesday. At the same time that we started today, which is 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, so let's say the New York time zone, and that must be, that is 5 o'clock in the afternoon in most of Europe, in the Central European time, we will focus on uh, Latin America, uh, because that is a region that we haven't covered yet uh, in these podcasts. And then much later, somewhere in like, mid-December, we still have to set a date, we will do the very last one. Uh, which will be on the Arab uh, region. And uh, with that, I would like to um, uh, like to say goodbye. I would like to, uh, to thank you all. And I hope to uh, see you back uh, next week on Wednesday, same time.